0: Episode 3, Laurie Mapvini, the technology evangelist of F5.
1: Cloud native, SD-WAN, analytics, machine learning, agile development and testing, edge computing, DevOps, service management, enterprise architecture, hybrid IT, neural networks, cybersecurity, serverless, low code, no code, big data, integration. You're listening to the Intellix podcast, where we bridge modern and legacy technology and untangle the buzzwords to help business and IT leaders connect the dots to achieve digital transformation. Disclaimer, the perspectives expressed in this show are the independent opinions of the hosts and or guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of Intellix or any companies mentioned here. And now, your hosts, Jason Bloomberg, Jason English. All right.
2: Well, welcome to another Intellix Braincast. Glad you could join us here today. Uh, we have Lori McVitty. She is a The lead technology evangelist for F5. Did I get that correctly?
0: You got that correct. That (laughs) is is absolutely right. (laughs)
2: Uh
0: huh.
2: Yeah, and we've talked over the years in many different many different lives previously. I think I first got to know you at. I don't know if you were at uh, was it network computing or or.
0: Yeah, um, don't say the other one. I still have right. You know that adversarial view, right? So you can't say the other one. Yeah, it was network computing. (laughs) Often yeah. confused with network world, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Both are you uh, know, yes. out there today. So Yeah, I think you're one of the first actual journalists at the time who actually opened up our software and, and used it. <laughs> which is like a foreign concept um, to me now. I mean, what's actually happened to the tech journalism world or does it still exist? What do you think?
0: It still exists. What what happened was that Right. I mean, we network computing built its kind of fame and, and glory, if you will, on right hands on testing. So we did a lot of testing and sure, testing software isn't, uh, isn't as hard as testing massive network equipment. And we just, we, it, it got so capable. We could no longer stress it out. We could no longer afford to actually do the testing we needed to do in order to provide value. Right. And it just. It just kind of fell apart. Plus the, you know, I mean, software, I say it's easy. It was for me because I like to play with software, you know, being a developer, it was kind of a little more intuitive, but generally speaking, it expanded and it got so broad, how do you find experts in each technology area that can actually authoritatively, incredibly speak to the quality of, of software to, you know, does it do its job? It just became, right, overwhelming, I think uh, in general. So that's why we don't see a lot of hands on testing reviews. And people are kind of like, yeah, stuff's fast enough now. We don't really need to know, but <laughs> that's not the big thing we want to see.
3: And yeah. We, uh- yeah. And the, the business model was, uh, advertising based. So it just didn't add up, right? You had the advertising revenues and then you had these expensive testing efforts. And, uh, I know it wasn't just your magazine, but I've heard that across the board, all of the magazines that actually did testing. Just, it just didn't make economic sense at some
0: point. Yeah. Yeah, it just it became too capital intense, as it were. And and even the shift to using, like, cloud didn't make sense in all cases. It didn't provide consistent test results. How do you adjust for, well, the Internet was slower for my test than it was for the other guy's test. So competitively, this is useless, right? It just it became a big hassle, and it just wasn't the the return on investment was not there. So now it's more about, Right. I mean, analyzing the markets, you know, the technology, where it fits, getting more advice, right? Being more advisors than it is hands-on testing.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so what are you focusing on these days? It's kind of interesting to see how it's, how it's changed. I mean, you make the, the whole industry has kind of made this leap from one of kind of covering the technology itself to more of an adv- advocacy model. So what in particular defines what a technology evangelist is today?
0: Wow. I always go back to Guy Kawasaki's definition way back when, when when we started seeing evangelists, right? It's about selling an idea, right? So I'm, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, it's been more about promoting, right? The technology ideas, how you can leverage it, what it gives you, how you can use it, how it helps, how it doesn't help, right? What are the pitfalls? What should you look out for? You know, underlying all of that, of course, there's always a, you know, well, here's how F5 plays in this role, right? Or can help, or what it does for that. Sometimes there is no answer. Sometimes I just pontificate about things that are absolutely not really related. But that's good because those things might not seem related now, but, you know, in the future, they might. I don't know if you pay attention to gaming, so I'm a, I'm a oh, gamer. Yeah and the big drama in the last month has been Apple and Epic Games. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. today is the start of, the, of season four and all of the iOS players are very upset because they can't play because of this. But, you know, you can look at it that way and see, okay, kids are upset. But on the back end, what we're talking about is an attempt to break up and disrupt, right, an entire kind of model, right, the payment industry. How do you pay things? How do platforms work? How do ecosystems get built? Who gets the money? How much do you get? Right. There's a lot of business model potentially being disrupted in the background from this lawsuit in this gaming industry that could spill over into software because we're all moving to that subscription model, right? To yeah. you know buy this thing, have this subscription. I have a store. So how does that impact right the future of I don't know, you know, anyone who wants to be on the Apple ecosystem. I don't know yet, right? We'll have to wait and watch and see it play out.
3: So do you think the Apple Epic battle is going to impact the enterprise software space? It's a you have to sort of connect the dots for us there.
0: It you know, it depends on on what model you're using, right? So the the entire argument here is that Apple controls the App Store. That's the only way you can get apps onto your mobile phone, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm an enterprise software vendor and I want to be on the Apple platform, right, I have to go through them. If I wanted to offer in-app purchases or subscriptions of different things, say feeds to information, threat feeds. Let's say that that's something that you wanted to do on a phone, right? I want my threat feeds, my alerts to come through here. I'm going to subscribe to them. And I'm going to do that through the Apple store because it's easy. I don't want to make it easy for people to get this information. So suddenly now I'm paying Apple's fee right, for in app purchases because that's how you get those kind of fees. Right? So am I going that has to be you have to count that in your business model. How much overhead is it? Who am I paying? Right? How does that interaction work? If if Epic is successful and right, Apple has to allow other app stores, what does that do for who can be on there? That's a new model but also how much, right? It changes all the business models. So I think it depends on what you're, you know, you're actually selling or how you're selling through it. Enterprise software isn't quite there yet. We like to talk about, you know, the the app store experience. I think we've got years before it comes, but I think it is coming just because of the ease with which you can subscribe to different software and different uh, feeds, different content that you may want to, you know, see on, not just phones, but what about on platforms, cloud platforms, Mm -hmm. right? You're talking about an ecosystem where you're forced to go through a specific provider. Does this have ramifications outside of that for a cloud provider that says you have to go through our marketplace? I don't know, right? I'm not a legal expert. I don't even play one on the internet. So I have no idea, but right. You can see kind of threads there that the same kind of, abstraction is, exists in many different worlds, including enterprise software, cloud subscriptions, that somehow this may have an impact down the road.
3: Yeah, now, internal internal marketplaces have been around for a while. You know, an enterprise will have some internal marketplace where people can go and, and download or even purchase possibly with a chargeback any number of different internal apps, you know, logins to Salesforce or whatever it is. But it isn't necessarily about the device that they have. I would think. I mean, it's not like, you know, an enterprise is going to offer sales for us, and if you want to use your iPhone, you have to pay Apple something. I mean, I don't think that's how they're doing it, right?
0: No. No, it's it's more about the the platform and the ecosystem, right, the platform that you're on and how you use that and who you have to pay and what the, you know, restrictions are, what is the, the model around it, right, those kind of things, right? It's like developer agreements back in the day. How did that get governed? How did it change with open source and with now with these platforms? It's it's an interesting thing, right? It kind of was like, wow, no, this could have an impact. So it's something to kind of watch and see, right? Not only if you're a gamer and you're interested, but also just from a, how does this potentially impact other other businesses? So, you yeah. know, it's all software and subscriptions. So I, I suspect there's something somewhere that could get disrupted because of it, depending on how it falls out.
2: Yeah. As, as we seem to move to, everything's moving to cloud, right? So as we, as we go to, uh, developer marketplaces, like Atlassian has their own kind of marketplace walled garden, right, of vendors. Then if you go to like, obviously AWS marketplace is full of vendors, people are starting to, to buy even infrastructure on this kind of paper use or as they go basis. And so. I think, in particular, you've been uh, part of a lot of this evolution, seeing F Five going from a you know, very much a, a stalwart kind of hardware vendor in the space to where everything's completely software defined. So, how have you seen that kind of market evolution go in in your experience?
0: How do I see it go? Wow, slow mm-hmm. because. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's the reality of data centers still exist and there's still hardware. So there's still capital outlay and you still have refresh cycles and, you know, those kind of things are still going to exist. It's more the, the value on top of it, the software pieces that start going, right, subscription very heavy. What do I put on that hardware? Ah, now we're talking about software and subscription and, and that's still a very lengthy process. You know, we all like to talk about digital transformation and, hey, you've got to change this and you've got to change that and you have to get with the game. And all the while, internally, right, I mean, software vendors, hardware vendors are all struggling with that same transformation. How do we do this? Right. We built stuff that was this way and now we have to make it work that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just as hard. Right for us as it is for an enterprise to suddenly pick up and go, Well, I'm just gonna do it all this new way. How does that, you know, work? It's not just we make it sound easy. Well, you just shift your CapEx to OpEx and everything's good. It's a little more complicated than that, but you know, it's it is happening, so it's slow. Right? We see cloud growth definitely and it's continuing. Right now, you know, thanks to the reaction to the pandemic and, and everything that's going on, we're seeing a whole lot of shift to SaaS, right, as fast as people can go, that's the clear winner right now. SaaS is definitely growing like gangbusters again. IAAS, I hate that word, it's so hard to say, Ia, infrastructure I- as service. IAAS, see, now now I said a naughty thing, IAAS is, right, it's growing, but not not quite as fast, right, and a lot of that is just the shift to focus on, we're going to get everything on SaaS first, Then we'll come back and focus on IaaS and what needs to go there. I mean, enterprises are not, for the most part, I mean, it's kind of amazing if you think about it, but enterprises are not young anymore, right? A lot of businesses have been out there for 20, 30, 40 years, a lot of them longer than I've been alive, and, you know, they're still running. And so they have a lot of, people would say, baggage. But what they really have is a lot of investment in applications and, and what's going on. So they're not just picking those up and moving them to the cloud, but they are going through a period of, we need to modernize these, because it's really hard to hook up a COBOL app to your mobile phone directly. I mean, that just doesn't happen, right? There's there's always glue in between that kind of, right, get the duct tape, get the bailing Mm -hmm. wire, let's make this work, and that is the life of IT. So they're going through app modernization efforts, and a lot of times that involves the cloud. Because we want to put like this new modern interface we want to have a mobile option we want to hook up some voice stuff we're just going to run that in the cloud but all of the good stuff still sitting in the data center so it becomes an architectural problem for them right CIOs are really like okay I have to make this work how do I do that because I got apps all over the place and I got all my stuff inside and I have to somehow glue it all together and it becomes a big integration challenge for them is how to make that work seamlessly or at least appear to be right seamless. We know, mm-hmm. you know, from being in IT, right? Nothing's seamless. There's a lot of pipes and a lot of turns and whys, but mm-hmm. um, they make it work eventually.
3: It's interesting you mentioned IaaS because you haven't heard that term in a little while. I mean, there's plenty of it out there obviously, but uh, it's virtual machine centric, right? And it has been since, you know, the dawn of Amazon with their first uh, cloud product. You know EC2, and but today, virtual machines are sort of the older way of doing things, right? Enterprises (laughs) are moving to Kubernetes and serverless, Uh, also in the cloud. Although Kubernetes, you might also do on-prem as well, but it's a different model, right? Where it's not it's not about virtual machines so much as you know they're still there, but that's not the point. So I mean, what are you seeing in terms of the evolution of the cloud? Is IaaS going to be going to fade away or? in favor of other technologies or, or is, it going to, is it going to stick around and be the legacy cloud?
0: Legacy cloud. Oh, legacy cloud.
3: There, there you go. Uh,
2: Did you just come great. up
0: with that?
3: Well, you can put legacy in front of anything. Oh, you know, it's just, a of, it's just a matter of time.
0: <laughs> legacy cloud. I like that. Well, we, I mean, we watched, right? There was a Kubernetes containers has just like moved faster than just about any right technology we've seen in terms of adoption in the mainstream. It just went like, yeah, let's do it. I it was wait, yeah. what? I mean it's not even mature, right? We're still in like alpha beta or whatever phase that is. And it just got picked up like wildfire. So we watched IaaS right kind of migrate from a, here's our special version and that didn't work. Right? And then they right. pretty much they've all gone, Yeah, we're gonna help you manage Kubernetes because Kubernetes is clearly Going to win this market and so suddenly right it's all there so as they're making that easier i think there are a lot of people that are using cloud and kubernetes together right so IaaS is becoming kind of that platform but you're right when i look at industry data i still see almost half so like in the mid 40 percent of companies that are building out apps in kubernetes or containers are doing it on premises right not necessarily in their own cloud but sometimes in their own private cloud but they are keeping it on-premises. So there's a good mix. And really, if you look at Kubernetes, and you look at just the container model, it just doesn't matter who provides it. I mean, it is it, it, it actually fulfills the promise that we had. Remember when we talked about cloud bursting? Like right. way back in, with the legacy cloud, right? Oh, you'll just be able to burst out to the cloud when you need capacity. Be a beautiful world right never happened because of the size right and the difficulties in actually migrating a live virtual machine from one place to another oh it can be done
3: yeah but it takes but what, it 40, 40 45 minutes or whatever that's not exactly a burst it's more of a trickle right
0: <laughs> yeah right exactly but with containers that actually becomes like more right. realistic like we could do this maybe maybe it takes minutes but it's way quicker and we could actually do that so i mean that's kind of an exciting change because i think that will actually make cloud as appealing or more appealing because it does become a not not just a destination but a hey this is our extra capacity it is what they promised now because we can do that we don't see a lot of that yet but right i expect that that will start to become something we can do the notion of cloud arbitrage right being able Mm -hmm. to run where it's most efficient Financially right now also becomes more of a reality. We talked about, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. That wasn't happening either.
3: Right. Well, now it's, now it's between Kubernetes flavors, right? Between, you know, GKS and OpenShift or whatever it is. And and so the move to the cloud and the move to Kubernetes are not the same thing. Because as you say, move to Kubernetes is often a reevaluation of on-premises. More private cloud, which is sort of now what is private cloud when you pull when you don't talk about virtual machines It's on-premises kubernetes in a co-located or managed data center And is it really a private cloud anymore? And we need a new terminology?
0: That's true. Do we, should we even call it cloud anymore? Does it doesn't matter. Do you need a cloud if you have you know container clusters and you're basically getting the same elasticity and right economy of scale the cloud promised you, and you do it in
3: containers. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, not. and then we add edge computing to the mix. And now we can put Kubernetes at the edge, and and we have the you know, edge data centers, and uh, that's part of the five G rollout. So that's going to be e- exploding even more in the next few years. And where does that leave the cloud? I mean, is that all the cloud, or are we do we want to differentiate between the
2: cloud and the edge?
3: And I don't, I don't know if there is an answer. Interested in your take?
2: Or serverless? I mean, what about that too? It's like. Where does it end? I mean, as far as being able to, to burst these workloads, they're not generic anymore, right? So how do you, how do you decide what to do?
3: From yeah, here? so what's your take on edge computing? I know F5, you'd think F5 would have an edge computing story, so I'm
0: interested. Uh, we, yes, we, we have quite a bit of of edge going on, right, internally. So I sit in the office of the CTO, so edge is something we, we generally uh, talk about at least once a week with someone internally about projects that are going on, what we're looking at, Right. We we recently released basically a smart smartNIC with with func- big IP functionality right on it. Because at the edge you are you are resource constrained right. You don't have a lot of hardware right. This could be like at the local gas station in a closet right. That could be edge for them if they're part of a franchise right. This is your edge. So how you can't just pick up a big piece of hardware and put it in there. It's not how things are going to get done. Hence. Kubernetes, right, appeal because it's small, it's easy to deploy, remotely manageable. This is exciting. And, you know, we look at that for software pieces, of course, because we have a lot of software that can can run in that kind of format, but also at, right, what are different hardware formats that might actually be amenable or that work, right? So a SmartNIC, uh, basically, I mean, you can, you, it's incredible how much power is on a NIC today. When you look at the actual CPU and the the server piece that goes on them, that's coming out. It's it's incredible. I mean, it is a server on a NIC. You're like, here it is, right there. You know, it's like looking at an Arduino. Right there it is. That, that yeah, a server a, a, a
3: server on a NIC that sort of boggles the mind because back in the day, a NIC, a network interface card, was a card you stuck in a server, and now you're putting the server <laughs> sure. in the card. That goes in the server. So it's like, well, where does this thing go? If it, the server's on the card,
0: <laughs> well, Boggles it's, actually, mind. Yeah. it's, it's actually an additional server, right? It's a server right for the NIC that so you can put a server
3: in the card in another server.
0: In another server. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> very recursive there, but it does. It allows you to do a lot of, uh, I'd say, right. More compute intense network processing right mm-hmm. on the NIC before it ever hits the server. So you're saving those resources. So same kind of model, same kind of story when you look at it from the network, but now you're just kind of shoving it all together because edge requires different form factors and right better economy of scale and smaller hardware. So those are things we're looking into, right? How do, what can, what can you put there? What makes sense, right? Some things don't make sense, some do. And we're exploring those options, um, looking at just, right, What about the, you know, the container side? How do you do that, right? I mean, when you deploy maybe a piece of an app out to the edge, are you still gonna need load balancing? Or are you gonna need some other service? If you do, then we should probably figure out how to be there and how to provide that same kind of, right, easy deployment and use and management, which is where you end up going back to SaaS and looking at, right, IaaS, IaaS. Right, as a, you know, it may not, maybe the enterprise use will slow down, but I think you'll see a lot of technology vendors making a, making a lot of use of cloud because it makes sense to put a lot more IT management as a service, right? Yeah. And that's not, you, you don't go to Salesforce for that. You go to something like Amazon or Google or Azure and you build your solution on top of that. So, right, it's, uh, you know, it's maybe just a shift in who their buyers are and who uses them more. But I think cloud is gonna be, you know, with us long enough to be called uh real legacy legacy, heritage legacy. We'll just keep tacking on terms until it's <laughs> indicative of how old it is, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, all this effort is very it seems very progressive to, to uh, how much we're driving new kind of business models based on what we can do. But then the other side of it, obviously, there's a big cybersecurity, an increase of in the size of the attack surface, and, and you kind of deal with some of that on, on a daily basis as well, I imagine. So, you know, what what kind of concerns are you seeing out there and how do enterprises, you know, address that side?
0: Well, One of the things that we're watching is this move of attackers. It's not just the broader surface, but up the stack. Right so it used to be we're just going to you know we're going to do a smurf attack, right? Now we're going to do a DNS amplification attack. We're going to stop your business. Now we're going to do a DDoS attack. Now we're going to attack your application. Right? Now it's moving up to the business logic. Like we actually had so we were filling a survey and if you if you give incentives for a survey, you will suddenly find that attackers are like, "Oh, really? Here's a bot."
2: Mm-hmm. Right? And right. they will just
0: keep hammering it because they want that incentive. Right? That's a, that is a security threat I mean, to the business uh-huh. because now somebody is getting money for just running a script. I mean, that's, right, it's an attack on the business. You see different kinds of attacks on business logic. Right? It's like credential stuffing. Right? This is not about overwhelming you. It's about how can I get access by attacking your systems right, at, at a logical layer. People who go in when Nike has a really big sale. They have bots that watch this, go in, scoop up everything at really good prices, and then resell them on eBay, right, for <laughs> more. It's a business attack. And it's really fascinating to to watch that start to evolve because how do you defend against that? Because it's not just the amount of traffic, it's who are you and what are you doing? And, and how are you right, interacting with this flow that's happening well above the application. And what are you doing? How do you recognize that? Right, so those are some of the the challenges that we're looking at. I mean, there's, there's still the normal challenges that you still have to deal with. And it's not that those are new, it's that we need new ways to address them because Kubernetes and Cloud and Edge and everything's changing. But there are also new attacks, new forms of attacks and that we need to start guarding against in terms of security and you know so we're really kind of digging into those as well Is how do we provide the kind of intelligence you need to stop that or recognize it in the first place it's really hard
2: hmm.
3: yeah ad fraud falls in that category and that's been going on for years it's it's tricky because you know the the advertising algorithms are complex and real time so you know the attackers are also have to be complex in real time, and it's, it's so it's this, this you know, ongoing battle. I know the airlines have really had a hard time with with the uh, you know the attackers gaming the price uh, airline pricing system, and uh, it's really tricky to guard against. Yeah,
0: yeah, it it really is. You have to have visibility into everything, right? So you not only have to be able to see you know what the application is doing, um, you have to be able to see right all the way down into the network. You have to be able to see the client then you have to start understanding right, that relationship and what indicates this is not a real person because they're not behaving the way a real person behaves. And it's not just about mouse clicks. I mean, that's right, easy enough for bots to adjust to and, and scripts to be able to replicate. It's how they navigate through a flow, how long it takes you know, to read something, those kind of things, right? It's all of those combined. So you need the visibility and the context then you need to be able to analyze that in real time to be able to say, that's not right. You need to stop that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really complex yeah, problem that's just, right, you've got a lot of space to cover and a lot of way, different ways you have to kind of think to get a hold of all of those bits of data to pull it together to make sense.
2: This has been very interesting, Lori. So, is there, is there anything else that's uh, of particular interest right now that you're kind of following, or or something new you're looking at these days?
0: Anything new, I'm looking at. Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm.
2: yeah, you've already named several, so I don't. I don't yeah. Know.
0: Five
3: Five G. What do you think of Five G? Yeah. Not just faster um, phones, but for the enterprise.
0: I think it's one better than four. G. Is there four G? <laughs> <4G? laughs> Now you stepped into a space that I rarely go into, other than okay, okay. Five, five, five. Yeah, we have a we have a significant right effort that um, deals with service providers, of course, right? We have a lot of technology that's specifically for service providers. I mean, working with five G, they've got like a whole effort going on, and I know that much. I know that the the better bandwidth, right, faster, is really critical because edge is going to require it. Or force it depends on which side of the fence you're on, but also just work from anywhere, right? This is the the number of kids who are doing online learning right now. You know, we don't know how long that kind of a model is going to last. How much of this is is significantly permanent? You know, everybody likes to say, well, this is the new normal. I'm like, what is this? Because we don't know yet. Everything keeps changing day to day. But we do know a lot of people are going to continue to work from not just home but anywhere. I I work from multiple places, from, you know, my office here in in the basement to my, you know, my mother-in-law's in in Cincinnati. It doesn't really matter because we have Zoom and we have, you know, hopefully 5G. So you get that, you know, you get better connections. Hopefully Zoom is a little bit more stable over it. I don't know if anybody else has those problems, but people are constantly just, right, it's falling off. It's it's having problems because it's just so saturated. So you know i hope it's a good thing i try not to look at it my my new passion right now is is looking into more on the analytics and and visibility and how that's evolving right visibility isn't isn't enough now we're looking at observability and you know how does that flow into operability how do we get people there right and what are the strategic moves that i.t has to make in order to you know actually progress in their their transformation efforts so it's It's interesting because you start looking at weird things. This morning I was learning how many signals a human body um, sends per second. And it's a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like 11 million bits per second. You're like, wow. (laughs) That's like, I need 5G inside, right? I mean, I'm not sure it can. (laughs) Can it do that? What's going on? So, you know, it's, you know, those kind of, I guess, higher level challenges or, you know, what I'm trying to look at and then how cloud fits into that, how, you know, how containers fit into that, what does app modernization really mean? Because a lot of times when people say that, they're like, oh, you just put it in a container. turns out that's that's not true, that's not how it works, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, right? So just trying to dig into all those different things that fit together eventually to make up an entire data center, because it's not just one thing or another.
2: Yeah, it's it, well, It's in a sense, it's like the world's most complex product, mm-hmm. right? All these pieces mm-hmm. have to come together to, to, to build this, but it, you know, it could take, it's like something that's constantly changing over the course of years, so the, the maintenance of the product you build. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it that way before, what you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's cause everyone is unique too, right? If it wasn't, we'd all just be on SAS everywhere, everything would be SaaS, but we're not because it's such a unique bunch of systems that have been built and put together that it is kind of, it's a product. Wow. I like that angle. Cool.
2: Well, this has been really great, Lori. So thanks so much for being on our show. Is there any place I should direct our listeners to go for some more information about or something interesting to send them to right now?
0: (laughs) That's always the question.
3: Well you get a free plug? So what do you want to plug?
0: Um, oh, my, I'm just going to plug f5.com. That's you know, that's a it's the best thing. It's easy.
3: It's easy. to spell, right? F it's and then easy five.
0: Easy to spell. Easy to remember. <laughs> just great. F5.com. I and the rest of the Octo team blog out there. So we kind of give a view of great, how we see things coming in the future. What's new? what you're going to need to look for, what we see as, you know, everything evolving. And then, of course, right, everybody else is, is writing about, I mean, stuff that helps you right now. Um, so, right, there's a good mix of content out there that has some, you know, interesting things, plus, uh, you know, glitzy things and our, our annual research is out there that I help drive. So I always like plugging that, State of App Services,
2: you know. We'll mm-hmm. put a link to that, definitely. So.
3: Very good. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been great catching
2: up. Yeah. It's
0: been great catching up. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Okay, I'll stop recording now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Intellix Podcast. If you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, feel free to drop us an email at pr at Until next time, keep on transforming.